You guys know we're in this Blueprint for Freedom series. And today, yes, we're going to be talking about demons. The desire of Jesus is to make you free. To make me free. That's why John 8, 36 says, So if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. This series is about the words of Jesus transforming us. The words of Jesus that form the blueprint for living in freedom. Last Sunday we said freedom is not the absence of something, but the presence of someone. This comes from 2 Corinthians 3.17. It's a famous passage. It says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. This powerful verse highlights the basic building blocks of freedom. That's what it is. And if we get this, this is how it starts. This is how we understand the foundations of freedom in our life. Because if the Spirit of God is with us, if he's living in us, it doesn't matter what we're facing or what we're going through, we have freedom that is living in us. We are focused on him, not on our sins. We're focused on him, not our addictions. We're focused on him, not our failures. We're focused on him, not our circumstances. And we believe that freedom is completely relational. Everybody say it. Relational. <laughs> you say it so nicely. Relational. You experience freedom with God. And by walking closely with others. Both. It's why Jesus talked about the great commandment. Love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. These are the basic building blocks of freedom because we all need friends to walk with to discover freedom. And I want to highlight one of the things that we do each year is we, we have something called the One Day Retreat, and it's coming up on Saturday, March 23rd. It's in conjunction with this series on freedom, and it's also part of our 40 days to Easter where we're where we're praying and consecrating our lives during this season. We're meeting every day uh, online if you want to join our prayer meeting. How many people are with me on the prayer meeting? 6.30 a.m. All 12 of you. That's awesome. 6.30 a.m. on Zoom. You can check it out at, on our onechapel.com. But here's the thing. One day retreat is a, is a time where we worship together, we pray together, we, we do prayer like personal ministry and we deal with things we don't talk about all the time because people need to live free and it's sometimes elusive to be able to live free even for people who know Jesus and we're going to talk about that for a few minutes here today Every, and listen if you've been to the one day retreat before it's okay I've been to all of them and here's what I'll tell you here's what I'll tell you every time I go God does something in me. It just is. If you're struggling, if you're, if you're trying to get rid of some stuff, if you're in a season where you just feel like you're carrying the weight of the world, come to the one-day retreat. God will do something in your life. Because here's the truth. I don't want this series just to be an intellectual exercise. That's not what we're doing here. I want this to be a spiritual encounter. And this series is so important for us as a church. And it's essential for you to be here and participate with us in this series. Why? Because of John 10.10. 10. 
where Jesus said, the thief comes only to kill, to steal and kill and destroy, but he said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. You have an enemy. You have an enemy, and you need to acknowledge that he's working against you, and we need to be wise to his schemes. He's going to try and steal from us to keep us from following the blueprint, to keep us uh, mired down in the stuff of life, in our history, in our past, in our wounds. But God wants to give us freedom, and this blueprint of freedom idea it includes a basic understanding of the spiritual conflict that we're all living in. So we're going to talk about that today. And we're going to start in Mark 5, verse 1. And if you want to follow in the message notes, you can uh, do it there by scanning that QR code or you can open your Bible. And let's read this together. It's kind of a long passage, but I want you to pay attention with me. I think it'll be up on the screen. Here we go. It's a story. In verse 1, it says, They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and had no one, and, oh, sorry, and no one could bind him, oh, sorry, uh, yeah, this man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. It probably sounded more like, My name is Legion. Sorry, I just felt like you were falling asleep on me there. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. And the herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. And then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Is that a crazy story or what? Jesus shows up on this beach 
He goes across the Sea of Galilee, and he's the welcome committee is a freakishly strong man who breaks any chain that they've ever put on him. He's like the Incredible Hulk. He's just so, he's just so tormented. He's so tormented that he spends his night crying out in the wilderness and cutting himself. He's tormented. When, here's the thing. When he sees Jesus from a distance, here's what, here's what happens. The Bible says he ran towards Jesus. So you can imagine Jesus is like getting out of the boat and he's like walking up and here's this crazed lunatic man running at him. <laughs> Don't you think Jesus was like, whoa, 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 what's happening here? What's happening here? No, Jesus knew what was happening here. He knew what was going on. This man comes and runs and he falls on his knees and he shouts at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. Now, I think it's clear to most of you, but just to clarify, the man speaks it, but it's not the man who's communicating to Jesus. The demonic spirit is talking because Jesus would never torment or torture a human. Jesus says, what is your name? Jesus is talking to the demon when he says this, not the man. The demon says, my name is Legion. And this word Legion, it's, a, it's kind of a reference to a Roman group of soldiers, it means literally 6,826 soldiers. That's the number. And here's the thing you got to understand what Jesus is coming into now is demons like to stay where they can have a stronghold. There's something happening here. In this story, this is a new place. This is, this is Jesus going beyond maybe the, the Jewish audience that he's been visiting, uh, and he's going over the lake, and he's broadening his reach into Gentile strongholds. And we know it's a Gentile stronghold because there's 2,000 pigs. <laughs> okay. Jewish people, they don't eat bacon. So, so, so you're... So, so the, this, is, this is, what's happening here is this is a beachhead and Jesus is visiting it for the first time. This is his welcome committee and it's no accident that this is the welcome committee because there, are, there is a stronghold in this area. These 10 cities, Gadara, Damascus, Philadelphia, and, and several others. These are Greek cities, not Jewish cities. And this man, I mean, he... He gets free of the demon. All the demons, it's so interesting. The demons beg Jesus not to send them, think about this, out of the area. Because this is, that's what, that's what it says. Because this is a stronghold area and that's where they want to stay. Jesus can send them out of the area, but they ask Jesus to send them into the pigs. Why do they do that? Because, because demons want a host. They need a host. They're not, they're not typically just flying around do, just uh, without, without hosts. 
they, 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 end up, they end up wanting a host. So Jesus gives them permission. And so we're going to talk about this today because, because Jesus speaks to the demon. He sends the demons into the pigs. And then they run down the hill and they actually, it, it doesn't work out well for the demons and the pigs die. <laughs> and then the man is free and the people in the town come and they see him and he's in, he's in his right mind. He wants to go with Jesus. He's like, let me go with you. And Jesus is like, no, you need to stay here and tell everything that just happened to you. By the way, this is how it's supposed to work. This is how the people of God help other people discover who Jesus is. They tell stories about what happened to them. And so I want to, I want to give you three ideas here. Three ideas. Ready? Are you ready? Are you with me still? You guys are like sort of leaning in now, aren't you? Like, oh, demons. What are we going to say here? Number one, I, wanted, I want you to, <laughs> if you have any doubt, I want just to convince you there really are demons. We live in an intellectual society, and I don't think we take very much, uh, we don't take very much uh, uh, time or energy to focus on uh, demonic things. And um, demon is mentioned 81 times in the Bible. 61 of those times are in the gospel alone. But it's important to realize that deliverance is a obvious mark of Jesus' ministry. No one had authority over demons before Jesus. And, and, and these, these demons, most Bible scholars believe, are typically the fallen angels uh, from the story in the Bible, a third of the angels who uh, fell away. And I want you to think about this. I want you to think about this. This is, you know, a third of the angels. We don't know how many this is, but it is a lot. And, um, but, but still, it's a third Think about this. For everyone that is against me, there are two that are for me. And that's true for you too. Hebrews says the angels are ministering spirits sent to the, the heirs of salvation. And so in the authority of Jesus' name, we are better off, no matter, no matter what here, two-thirds of the angels following Jesus, being ministers of the gospel. This legion, though, didn't want to be a disembodied spirit and it you know so wanted to go into the pigs it kind of um, backs up my theory that demons do actually inhabit animals uh, primarily cats but I think I think I think, uh, I think it's just important to acknowledge this it's just important to acknowledge this <laughs> Over and over again, over and over again throughout the ministry of Jesus, we're not going to take time to, to read all the scriptures, but there's scripture after scripture of Jesus casting demons out of people. And some of them, many of them actually, start out, he starts out casting demons out in the synagogue. Sometimes it's the most religious people that have the worst demons. Messing with your theology now, isn't it? C.S. Lewis says there's two kinds of people Satan loves. The skeptic and the superstitious. People either don't believe in them, they're the skeptics, or they see them everywhere and they say everything's a demon. They're, they become superstitious about everything. 
Some people don't want me to talk about these things because they get uncomfortable. And then some people, some of you are like sitting here, we're just now getting to the good stuff. Come on, pastor. Jesus came to set us free and you'll never know you can be free if you don't think you can be in bondage. Pastor Jack Hayford, he was an amazing man, an amazing leader. He said, you can't cast out the flesh and you can't disciple a demon. And sometimes I think that's what we get into. We're trying to cast out our flesh when it's just you. <laughs> it's just you dealing with your stuff. And, and you can't disciple a demon if you, don't, if you don't deal with it spiritually. So do we need discipleship or deliverance? Yes, yes, we need them both. We need them both. So, so you really have to settle that we live in a spiritually charged world, even though our culture, even though our westernized culture doesn't really pay attention to it as much as maybe other cultures, it's important to acknowledge that there is a spiritually charged atmosphere that we're dealing with. There is a conflict and there is a war going on, which leads to point number two. Demons really do enter people. They really do enter people. Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Spiritual forces are at work all around us. We don't see this, this kind of thing all the, all the time in, in, its, in, it, in the way it manifests. In third world countries, um, there is a, a lot of activity uh, that, that goes on. I think, I think it's true that the devil has no need to manifest in our society because he can do more damage by being more sneaky, by being more stealth. In our society, I think that's probably what it is. And, and, if, and if people don't believe he's even there, then he's got them. So this, this is what you got to understand is two worlds means two battles. Two worlds means two battles. And, and you've got this earthly thing, and then you've got this spiritual thing that's going on. And so there's two battles around us, spiritual wickednesses, and it, it's almost always, unfortunately, expressed through people. That's why Paul goes to great lengths to say, look, we're not fighting against people. There's something else driving these people. If your boss is mean, though, if your boss is really mean, you, you, don't, you can't just start praying at the top of your lungs at work. When he shows up, that would be weird. If your husband is frustrating you, you usually don't start with casting demons out of him. <laughs> okay, there's some, there's some other things. If, if you, you may think that your children need an exorcism, but really they just need training. So we have to remember, here's the thing, you have to remember that there's an overlap. These things are overlapping and interrelated they can't really be separated. The thief is always looking for a way in. That's what we just read at the top. The only people who can't get free are the people who don't think they can ever be in bondage. The only reason the enemy is coming is to steal and kill and destroy. You've got to settle that, which leads to this really important question. Then can a Christian be demon-possessed? I think the, I think this is a, a bit more complicated than we want to admit. Demon possession hasn't been really properly understood because there's two Greek words for possession. There's a, a Greek word that talks about ownership. Ownership, and then there's, then there's a Greek word that talks about how to, to gain mastery over. 
or to gain control over or power over. But, but this is important for us to make some distinguishing uh, characteristics here of, of what's happening. In, in Luke 21, verse 19, in the King James Bible, this, this verse says, In your patience possess ye your souls. It's a famous verse used in the movie, That Thing You Do. You can look it up. And Jesus, here's the thing, Jesus wouldn't tell us not to own our own souls. Paul said you are bought with a price. Right? Jesus wasn't saying that we should own our souls. God owns us. Is everybody with me? God owns us. Okay? So God owns us. <laughs> I knew a pastor one time who would say, spirits always want to possess you. But, and we, as Christians, we are possessed. But the name of that spirit is holy. He wants to... He wants to live in you. Now, now, the Holy Spirit doesn't take over your life. You have to give him permission. You have to give him permission. He's always a gentleman. He'll never force you to do what he wants you to do. Jesus is saying we should gain mastery over our souls in this verse. Possess ye your, in your patience, possess ye your souls. He's, we're gaining mastery over our souls by the work of the Spirit in us. That's how it works. Thayer's Bible Dictionary defines this, uh, this concept as to be under the power of a demon, under the power, under the control. All right, can, so can, the, can a Christian be under the control of a demon? I, that same pastor used to say to me, he's like, I used to think that Christians couldn't have demons, but I've been to too many church board meetings. It may be more accurate to say a person possesses a demon. In other words, they carry it. I think the best translation is demonized in the NIV. Demonized in, in the New International Version means under the influence. I don't think it matters whether the demon is inside or outside or on your shoulder or in your thoughts or the question, the, the, the question we've got to answer is, are you being influenced by someone other than the Holy Spirit? Are you being influenced by something other than the scriptures? And that's a real problem. You've got to answer that question. The devil keeps looking for opportunities to tempt us and sometimes we create the opportunities for his temptations by the foolish things we do. Are you with me still? It's getting quiet in this church. Now here's the thing. No demon can take charge of you without your permission. I believe that. No demon can take charge of you without your permission. Whatever happened in this man's life there was some things that happened in his life and he made decisions that, that, that ended up with him out there in the wilderness. Um, I think there is a giving over. Um, I think it's important to remember that it always takes the devil two moves to get you. Two moves to trap you, right? The first move is often something happening in our physical world. It's an offense, a disappointment, a challenge, 
a, a hurt, a wound. But the second move is always yours. The second move is always ours. How we respond, what we say, what our attitude is. And there are terrible abuses going on in our culture and in our world. Terrible things that are demonic and divisive and awful. And this is why we need Jesus to come in and free us. Because it's the only way we can respond to those abuses and those, those things that have happened to us with healing and forgiveness. He's the only way. If you don't choose him, if he doesn't come and rescue us, then we are bound to this, this history. Do you feel, it's like, it's, it's like, is there any, anything in your life, as you're, as you're moving through life, is there something you just can't get victory over? Do you feel powerless to deal with it? Are you struggling with forgiveness? Do you have a habit that you can't control over and over and over and over? You have to ask yourself these hard questions. A thief that comes into your house if you leave the window open or the door to your house unlocked and a thief comes in, then does that thief have ownership of your house? Does that, does that, does that thief have ownership of your house if he gets in through a window or through an, open, an unlocked door? No, he doesn't own your house. He doesn't own your house by getting in and taking some stuff. He's exerting some control though, isn't he? He's trespassing. And you have to close the doors for the thief. That's part of what we do at the one-day retreat. If a man who is filled with the Holy Spirit gets drunk or takes drugs or is loopy from some addiction to medication, do those influences own him? No, but they are influencing him. They make him do things that are out of character for him. God owns him, but this demonic spirit is influencing him. A Christian woman who has an uncontrollable anger will be under the influence of a demon. Careful, husbands. Careful, careful. <laughs> I'm trying to be careful. A Christian man who looks at pornography will be under the influence of a demon. We can all be blinded by demonic ideas and influences if we're not intentional, if we're not attentive to the work of Christ in our lives. That's why the Apostle Paul says in his second letter to the church at Corinth, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 says, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments, we destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. Hey, hey, one chapel. Don't let this story in Mark lead you to believe that you aren't influenced by the enemy because you don't live among the tombs crying and cutting yourself. Many people, even Christians, live tormented lives by their past from their failures their foolish arguments that have developed in their minds paradigms 
that force them to see themselves inaccurately. I want to be honest with you. We're all wrestling. This is all, this is all requires a struggle. Recently, as a pastor, as a person who's been a Christian since he was a little boy, I've recognized paradigms that have sort of been functioning within my own psyche and my own mindset that I'm having to dismantle at my age. And I'm old. I look young, but I'm old. The townspeople might be instructive for us here. They rejected Jesus and the power of God when they see this man. Now get this. The townspeople show up, and here's the man in his right mind sitting on a rock or something. So the Bible says they were afraid of Jesus and wanted him to leave. So let me get this straight. You're afraid of Jesus who freed this man but you're not afraid of the freakishly strong man screaming and running naked among the tombs of dead people who now is in his right mind. What is wrong with you? You're living under a false paradigm. You're not living under freedom. You're living in, an, in, a, in a way that, that looks at what Jesus does and says it's bad and it's dangerous. Does that sound familiar to you? We live in a similar culture. We live in a similar culture. Could they have been under their own demonic influence and the principalities of that region? Materialism, you know, <laughs> their pigs just got destroyed. They lost all that money. Economic power, greed, their way of life. Were they living under those paradigms? Yes, they were. Strongholds are bad ideas, foolish thinking and arguments, evil worldviews and wounded psyches. Selfishness and greed dominate a company culture sometimes. Tyranny and control dominate a national government ideology. Hatred and bitterness dominate a broken family. These are all driven by spiritual entities. <laughs> Probably our most common stronghold in our minds, in our culture, has to do with political dynamics. We think that we have a, we have a, a way of thinking that is politically filtered about everything. Both sides, right and left, they both can be under the influence of really bad ways of thinking. Be under the influence of foolish arguments Jesus has a different way. Let me just finish. Band, you can come up. We have point number three. Jesus really does cast them out. He really does. Luke 10, 17, we started with this passage. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, <laughs> this is really cool how Jesus replied. He said, I saw f Satan fall like lightning from heaven. In other words, he was telling them, yeah, I, I saw this. Let me, tell you how, let me tell you how the story happened. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and, over, and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. 
At that time, Jesus, full of the joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the, from who? What does it say? Wise and from the smart people. You've hidden these things from the intellectuals. He says, and revealed them to little children, people who are innocent, people who are open. Yes, Father, for this was what you were pleased to do, which is why he could rally together, uh, I think it was 70 or so disciples and send them out and say, you can cast the demons out, come on. They barely, they barely could deal with themselves. What did Jesus say to Peter when, when Jesus started telling him what's gonna happen? Jesus told Peter in Matthew 16, he says, here's what's gonna happen. The religious leaders are gonna get me. I'm gonna die. I'm gonna be buried, but I'm gonna rise again. Peter's like, no, this cannot happen to you, Jesus. Do you remember what Jesus said to him? Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. If there's anybody we could trust, it's Peter, right? I had a guy in a small group this week and we were talking about last week's message on freedom and all this stuff. And he was saying in one of my men's groups, he said, man, it's like I'm just having this moment of breakthrough. Like as I go to this small group and, I've, and I'm reading the Bible every day and I'm, and I'm praying and I'm like, God, God is just doing all these things in me. I'm like, well, duh. <laughs> you guys think that I'm trying to get you to do stuff for the church. I'm not. I'm trying to get us to live attentive to Jesus and his will. I'm trying to get us to live. Listen, listen, listen. It's not just about your freedom. There's a whole world out here that needs freedom. But you got to get freedom so you can go get them. Otherwise, we're just going to be thinking about ourselves the whole time. There's a purpose for our freedom that goes beyond just us. And we have to get together on that. Like, we have to be the kind of people that don't let the thinking of the world indoctrinate our minds and our ways of, our ways of acting and our ways of thinking. And it's all a ratio. It's all ratios. How much, what's the percentage of time and energy you're going to give to Jesus? And what's the percentage of time and energy you're going to give to everything else? That's really the question. And when you give more percentage to Jesus, when you give more percentage to the work of the Spirit, when you allow God to reveal to you the places where you're just off, when you go to a small group and one of the guys can say, bro, you're missing it. You don't get this. Let me help you and walks with you, that's what changes it. That's what creates freedom. So I want you to just, I want the prayer team to come up. I want you to stand up with me and we're gonna worship as our last thing that we do here today. I said some things today that maybe were controversial for you. If you have any questions about it, david.campos at onechapel.com. We probably need a few more people just available for prayer. So uh, staff members and leaders, other people, you can stay right here. Yeah, stay right here. Okay, cool. I want you to just let God speak to you now about a place in your life. Look, you can be free. Jesus has authority. 
you can submit to his authority today. What did Jesus say? He said, God, you have hidden these things from the wise and learned, but you've revealed them to what? To little children. You've, you've revealed them to the lowly. You've revealed them to the humble. You've revealed them to the innocent. What I want you to do today is put yourself in a posture of humility. Put yourself in a posture of worship. Put yourself in a posture of letting go, of letting the innocence. I don't care if the devil is accusing you. He can accuse you all day long. Jesus can forgive you and will forgive you and will heal you and will help you. Okay, that's true. I believe that with all my heart. And you get to decide. You have a powerful will. You can surrender to Jesus or you can believe in the lies of the enemy. Don't believe the lies of the enemy. Refuse it. Maybe you need to come and confess something to one of the prayer team. Just come and say it. Just come and say it. They'll lay their hands on you. They'll pray. It'll be done. You'll have to go back to your seat and then walk it out. That's a different thing. That's, that's where a small group comes in. That's where prayer every day comes in. That's where getting the scriptures in you, knowing the word so that you can overcome when the devil lies to you. You see, it's not just by prayer that we get the devil out. It's by your lifestyle and walking it out. Sorry, let's pray. Father, thank you for the power of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Thank you for the power of the kingdom of God and the authority that is in Jesus' name. We receive your authority today. We receive your word today. We humble ourselves here under your mighty hand. We humble ourselves and we allow you to speak to us, point out things in our lives, change our way of thinking, tear down strongholds and arguments that come against knowing you and loving you. Have your way, Jesus.